Hello, I'm Laura Furiosi, divorced mother of three, and I'm here with my mother, Lynette Galvin, with 35 years' experience in family law. You're listening to the Divorce Course Podcast. Through our candid discussions, we hope to help you through your divorce or de facto separation. We will be answering the most commonly asked questions and covering the stages and steps that you will face on your way to freedom. Getting divorced is hard. But getting divorced with a child with a disability would be even harder. So today we're covering getting divorced, going through property settlement and children's orders with a child with a disability. Today we're going to cover all of the questions that we've had been sent through and also things that you might be trying to figure out yourself. Asking the amazing Lynn Galvin, <laughs> my mum, who has been in the court and doing legal things for a very long time. Welcome, mum. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Now, before we start, just a disclaimer, we, we understand that the correct terminology is pe- person with a disability. Hopefully, we'll use the correct terminology the whole way through. Mm. And if we upset anyone by accidentally using sorry. the wrong terminology, we're sorry. We're not medical professionals, but we will use Mum's League. That's expertise to hopefully help you. And also, this is general advice only. Everybody's yes. situation is different, isn't it, Mum? Absolutely. Yes. Just so, like every child is. Yes. <laughs> so, Mum, how many cases do you think, percentage-wise, have an element of of a child with a disability or an adult child with a disability that you come across? Well, from personal experience, I have to say that it's at least one in two where the child has been diagnosed with some mild developmental disability or going up to a much stronger one. And I don't know if it's because we're just better at recognising it now Mm. um, or if those children with those developmental difficulties um, have parents who find themselves getting divorced more often than if the children didn't have disabilities. Mm. It's I don't know the science behind that or the social science behind that, but I'm coming across it a lot and the courts are getting better yeah. at looking at it. So I guess the mental load of looking after a child with a disability on top of looking after your relationship, I guess it's an, it, it is a little bit more of a strain mm. and it, it is going to make relationships a little bit more trickier from time to time. So I guess yeah. maybe, yeah. Well, so, it, it yeah. makes court trickier too because, you you know, you in your doing documents you need to find downtime mm. and sometimes you can't if you want to talk to your lawyer and you've got sort of your hands full. So let's get into some of the main questions and that is how does a court recognise a child with a disability? How do, you, how do you have to present that to the court so they know Mm. So it's not really enough just to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, even if both of you say it, it's still the court can't really rely on that. So you need a, an assessment um, of the child. I wouldn't suggest taking them for a fresh assessment, mm-hmm. but if you think your child has a condition, I dare say you've had some correspondence about it, even from your GP or you've been to a specialist or something. Um, And at the school, if they're at school age, there's probably an assessment being undertaken there and they might have extra assistance. So you do need to um, produce some evidence. Um, What mostly happens is, um, in my experience, is that one person says the children have a condition. The other parent says, well, they're perfect at my place, they don't. Mm. Um, and so the court can't get involved in that. Uh, just like we're not psychologists or psychiatrists, neither is the court. Mm. So then you need that independent evidence. So so you need the evidence to say my child has this Special needs, yep. Because potentially the other parent might say, no, they don't. But what difference does it make in the court's eyes if you do have a child with a disability oh. as to not having a child with a disability? Okay. Um, well, there are characteristics of various conditions. It can be either a general thing, um, like a, a child 
uh, doesn't handle change very well mm-hmm. or um, can only sleep in the bed that they is modified for them or something like that. But um, there's also kind of general recognition of the needs of children. So, so so that gets me into that. Does it affect the the chances of the standard 50-50 assumption that they'll spend 50% of the time with one parent and 50% of the time with the other parent if their child ha- is with a disability? Look, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes the load, a loving load, but it's hard work, mm. needs to be divided between the parents and it needs both parents to step up and give each one a little bit of a break, mm-hmm. um, but boy, do they need to coordinate very well with each other mm-hmm. so that there's a, a level of consistent level of care. So I, it's just like there's no one child the same. There's no really one blanket set of orders, but mostly I'm seeing the parents trying to work together just to cope. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you've got one person who says there's no disability, um, you are really pushing for a hard time and and the thing is of course if a child masks their their discomfort when they're at one house they'll come back and then they'll let everything goes to pot because they're back in their own environment Mm. so yes it's a tricky thing so I think independent evidence is the is the best way and then sometimes the court can take recognition take notice of maybe published papers about general characteristics of people with that disability children with that disability I think there's a thing called judicial notice uh, where something is such common knowledge that the court can just say, oh, yes, everybody knows that. And one of the things I think is becoming common knowledge is that children don't like change. If If they've got any sensory or developmental or neurological conditions, you have to go very slowly and gently into any change. So that's when the, I guess step orders would happen, where yep. there's like the orders step them into this this the situation, mm. and they'd be much slower than a progressive step, say with a child um, who was little or hadn't seen a parent for a long time. You do progressive orders there, where it might start off with two hours on a Saturday, and then the next after a few weeks it becomes two hours Saturday and Sunday. Well, uh, for a child with a very severe disability, that might be far too fast and you might have to make them even slower. Okay. Mm. All right. What happens when you said the other parent potentially could be saying they don't have a disability? Mm. What happens then? Is that something that the court takes into consideration if you prove that they do but the other parent isn't Mm. looking after that side of Mm. things? Well, remembering that the court's Uh, uh, the main imprimatur for the court, the main ambition of the court is the best interests of the child. If you have demonstrated by use of third-party proof reports Mm -hmm. that a child has a disability and you have another parent who's in denial about that, uh, particularly if there's medication to be provided or therapy to be provided, um, then the court is going to err on the side of um, leaving the child with the parent who gets it. Really, basically, if the other side doesn't get it, well, you know, they would try and make orders, I guess, that would um, still allow a child to have a relationship with the other parent, Mm -hmm. but not to the child's detriment so that they don't miss any of their therapy so that they're not in an environment that's not um, conducive to their development and best interests. Well, that's good news for anyone who's out there who potentially has that situation Mm. going on. If you do end up in court, that's you know, mm. it will be looked at. There are a lot of people, though, and we had had people who've yep. written in who haven't left the situation. They haven't left the home 
and they haven't left their ex part their partner who they want to be their ex partner yeah. because they're they're afraid that they don't know that they can support the child yes without the additional income and support of the other parent yes and I guess that moves us into property what happens there mum so if there's someone right now listening at home who's not leaving their ex or no. not leaving their partner because because they they have to stay because their kids need the extra yeah. support what kind of things can they look at that could potentially give them a, a way out yep Okay. So it depends on the sort of person the mm-hmm. other parent is. It sounds like if you're in that situation, you are getting some physical support and mm-hmm. emotional support from the partner, even if you want him to be or her to be your ex. Uh, so I would think about going to um, mediation before you separate to mm-hmm. talk about how you might manage the children. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, it might be that a week is too long for any one person. And I do have matters where children swap every couple of days and that gives the other person time to catch up on sleep and so forth. Um, it has to be done carefully within the confines, I guess, of what the child can cope with. But you can work it out. If there's two of you together, both with the child's best interests, then, you know, hopefully that trumps any bitterness with the separation. What about financial? Financial. Uh, you are eligible usually to ask for more support you can uh, tell child support that you have additional needs with the child and either if you haven't been able to work it out in a child support agreement uh, with your ex-partner the agency may review and increase your child support and that would require you to produce uh, your receipts and uh, and letters from various professionals Um, I also like my clients to produce a calendar um, both for negotiating time with children mm-hmm. and also so the agency can see how it impacts on you. Um, and also in property settlement, which I suppose you're going to ask next, mm-hmm. um, having an adult child or even a, a child person that you have to support um, and can stop you being able to work full time. Mm-hmm. And that definitely is one of the factors in uh, that the court looks at under Section 75.2, uh, whether you've got the control of a, a child, a care and control of a child under 18, and then beyond that into adulthood if you've got a legal responsibility to support someone. Okay, so the court, if you end up going to court, mm. the court can make an order that helps support you financially by giving you a bigger outcome. Bigger share of the property. Bigger sure. share of the property. What about spousal maintenance? Yes. If you're unable to work because of the child, I, it shouldn't be conflated. The issues shouldn't be joined together it's that's a child support issue and it may need may mean that if you can't get enough money through the child support agency you go to the review process you go to the um what was the administrative appeal, appeals tribunal and has now been demolished but something else will come in and ultimately probably to the court if you really can't make ends meet but spousal maintenance on the grounds that you've got the care of children isn't as strong a ground as it used to be because okay. uh, there's daycare now and all of that. But uh, so I, I think you need to be clear what money is for the child and mm. as a result of you having the child in your care and what money is as a result of you not being able to work. So but I think it's just a cracker. Like that, you would raise that issue mm. and say, I don't see myself being able to work full time, you know, if that's your situation for years. And the percentage adjustment to you, in on a property pool, and, in, and there's a, always a component, Section 752, is that lump sum maintenance component for mm-hmm. you, spousal maintenance, would have to be much, much bigger 
And of course, we talk about that, how to figure that out in our course, the yes. DIY Divorce Blueprint, where we talk yeah. about the different percentages. True. And so that if you're interested in that, you can check that out on www.thedivorcecourse.com.au and go to our yeah. online courses. So basically, mum, before you can go to court, you have to go to mediation pretty much these yes. days with kids, right? Yes. And that's definitely solid now. Yes. So what kind of evidence can the other parent gather to provide to the mediator and to the other parent to show, look how much money this costs, Mm -hmm. look how much time this takes. Mm. Even I think for, you know, that's like severely children with severe disability, physical disability, Mm. you know, where they need a full-time carer, as well as, you know, a a child with autism on the one end of the spectrum, Mm. you know, um, my daughter... Mm-hmm. Um, has autism, as you know, yes. um, but she okay. she can look after herself. Yes. You know, yes. so it's to a it's a it's a lesser extent, but you know, still having to do certain things and yes. pay for certain things. So, what kind of evidence can that person who's listening today with the child with a disability mm. to present to the other side mm. at mediation and eventually at court if there's mm. no agreement to show? Yeah. Okay. So, um, in terms of to show your expenses, um, mm. I think you need to. Um, get letters from each of the specialists that they see, each of the helping professionals that they see, um, setting out the frequency of the visits. Um, again, that calendar is really handy, you know, and you can you can really, um, it'll frighten you um, because I've done it with people before and they, they are gobsmacked at the actual cost. Mm. But, you know, find out what it costs you a month and multiply that by 12. Mm. Consider any special clothing, the fact that you might have to drive the child to school rather than let them catch public transport um, and all of those other things. So it's receipts, um, it's schedules for the future, receipts for the past, mm-hmm. um, credit card account showing your payments. I guess you um, could even look while at you're time. together. Yep. Look at time, at how much time, time you spent. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And and the first thing, though, um, is to get the uh, other party on board with the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And um, to do that, you would produce some sort of report from a specialist. Uh, but if you've got a particularly tricky um, partner, they may not believe that specialist. And that would, I would say, the best thing then to do, to give your mediation the absolute best chance of settling this issue between you both in consent orders um, or a binding child support agreement would be to give get your partner to give you a panel of three independent people who can make an assessment and, and you choose one and get the child assessed by someone that your doubting ex um, can't can't dismiss. Okay. okay. So yeah. you've got to get that solid ground. Is mm. there is there um, a disability? To what extent does it impact on you, your life? To what extent does it uh, impact on your dollars? Mm. Yeah. And, and, I, and I know it sounds very crass that we're talking about this no. because we love our children and, you yeah. know, it's whatever it's it nothing. takes. We don't care, you know, yeah. like it's nothing, but but it's all about, uh, and, I, and I think a lot of our listeners who do have children with disability need to remember uh, putting a dollar amount, putting a time amount mm. may feel crass, may feel... Like, because of course you would do whatever, but you need to do that for the sake of your child to do the best case scenario for the outcome moving forward for their future so that you can be there and you can continue to do what it is that you were doing. Because if the difference, you're not really doing this for you, of course, you're Mm. doing it for the child. And, And if you don't do it, then your child 
has only the resources you can provide Mm. or that are ordinarily provided to a a child without a disability and also your time may be limited. And if you're suffering and struggling, um, your cup isn't as full as it would otherwise be and, you know, how can you then give to the child? So it's a more subtle thing as well in your emotional ability Mm. to, to cope with the child. I mean, you know, it's interesting in my um, experience when parents have a severely disabled child. Mm. Um, they child w- with disability. I beg your pardon, yes. <laughs> so, yes. Child with disability, uh, with a severe disability, they, they are more likely to work things out because mm. they've both been there and they understand. Yes. It's these more subtle uh, signs or where one party's in denial mm. that you do have your, your problems. Mm. When it comes to dealing with medical professionals, mm. what are the rules? You've made it this far. You've separated or made the decision and that's a big deal and that takes courage and we totally respect that. The problem now is you don't know what the next step is to do. You might have some idea, but you're worried it might be costly or you might make a mistake. We don't all have a lawyer on speed dial to ask those little questions swirling through our minds or to fully explain the process in plain speech. If this is you, you've come to the right place. This course was created because I wish I'd known what I do now. Lynn knows the law and we both know what it is like getting divorced. It was during my divorce that she realised how much more support and information is needed for people going through this process. Knowledge is power. We're all capable of learning and doing things to help us to get to a better life. Mum and I want to give this knowledge and know-how to you and save you money while we're at Empower, educate and equip yourself with the legal know-how and the tools you need to get your divorce, property settlement and children's matters finally settled. Work through the course at your own pace without feeling confused, lost, scared or overwhelmed with family law legal jargon and processes. If you're ready, join us at www.thedivorcecourse.com.au and click on Find Out More about the DIY Divorce Blueprint. When it comes to dealing with medical professionals, what mm. are the rules? It's you mean in terms of parental responsibility? Yeah. Well, are you okay. allowed to go to see a doctor without the permission of the other parent? Or right. Like, are you allowed to get a diagnosis? So there are there are three sorts of parental responsibility. Uh, the one that you have before you leave and before there are any court orders is called joint parental responsibility, and each of you can do anything on your own for the child. Uh, without informing the other, just like if you were in a happy relationship and still together and little Mary needed to go to the doctor, whoever was off that day would probably take Mary to the doctor. Um, That's your normal, that's how everyone is until the court interferes with that by making a different order. And the court uh, most frequently makes an order for what we call, what they call equal shared parental responsibility, Okay. ESPR, people call it, Equal Shared Parental Responsibility. And that means that neither of you can make all of the decisions about the child alone, that on every issue, um, except like what toothpaste to use or the day-to-day things, but every medical issue, for instance, needs to be made jointly in a consultation and you need to agree, both agree, and then uh, that's the path you take for your child. Mm. And that's the legislation's preferred option is that both parties have an input in caring for their children and making decisions. However, sometimes uh, uh, equal shared parental responsibility doesn't work. Uh, If their parents have a difficulty um, communicating and coordinating um, 
It has to be a significant difficulty. The court um, years and years ago used to say, well, if you've had to come to court, you don't have the capacity to cooperate in parenting. Uh, But that's a very old-fashioned view and the court really, um, it's only in exceptional circumstances that the court will go, oh, this relationship, parenting relationship is damaging to the child for their interests or her or his interests. We need to give one or other parent sole parental responsibility. Um, which is a big deal because sometimes they'll give a parent sole parental responsibility with the requirement that they uh, uh, coordinate and inform and discuss with the other person, mm-hmm. um, consider the other person, the other parent's views, and then if they make a decision contrary to the other person's views, the other parent, give them an explanation of why they have. Uh, but they still get the final say-so. And, gee, this came up a lot during the vaccinations in mm. COVID and so forth. Um, and then the final thought, thought um, which our listeners um, should know, um, I'm t- I need you to know, it's very rare, um, is sole parental responsibility, where the court gives all of the power, so to speak, over the child to one parent and the other parent only has responsibility for the child during the time that they are in their care and then only for day-to-day things like what are they having for breakfast and are we going to um, go to the beach today, that sort of thing. So so in answer to my question, can a child, can you take your child to get a, a medical report or something mm. like that, the answer is... It depends where depends you are. Where you are. Whether you're still in the joint parental response, joint parental responsibility stage, or if the court has made an equal shared parental responsibility mm-hmm. order, or if the court has made a sole parental. And if you're not in court at all, then it's joint, and you can do it. Yeah. Okay. All right. But be careful yes. if you do stuff that ultimately, um, if you're not bringing your ex partner along with you, I don't mean physically, but if they aren't on the journey of discovering. Uh, the, and getting the diagnosis, they will be suspicious mm. and say she's she he's just done that, so I can't see the child mm. as often. So it's important, I guess, to always keep in t- in touch with that other parent, you mm. know, and let them know when you're going, what you're doing, and mm. negotiate, talk about, discuss. Mm. Look, and then we have talked about in other episodes, if you want to listen, about coercive control and other situations where some of our listeners who have written in about this particular topic have been stuck. Mm. Um, So go and listen to those as well. Mm. But when it comes to the NDIS, Mum, because that is a big issue, I guess, for any any parent with a child with a disability, how, how is the National Disability Scheme considered within the court system when it comes to property and child support and mm. things like that? So the NDIS money is coming from the Commonwealth Government. It's important to remember that the family court is Commonwealth Government as well, Okay, um, except Western Australia. So they all live in the same house. That's <laughs> how I started thinking about I think all those that, things. Uh, yeah, maybe. I think they always they all have the same purse. They've they got all, the same budget. Public purse. Yeah. Yes. Um, but they also, um, like people who live in the same house have a, have a similar agenda that the children should be advantaged, not disadvantaged. So I've yet to see the court say, well, the mother won't need that much because she's got um, NDIS funding for the child. Right. Um, or the father doesn't need that much because he's applied for NDIS and he'll get it for the child. Um, the court just takes it into account. It, they may in a, uh, a small way, I think, recognise um, the benefit of NDIS to the child and that may reduce somewhat the need for you as the 
it's a person with the uh, child in their care to have a big, big lump sum, mm. you know. So it's just one of the factors that they take into account. Okay. Um, so that's something you should take along with you if you do have a mm, national disability scheme, mm, the information, what the payments are. Yeah. Take that along to mediation. Yes, I think so. I think yeah. I've seen um, I've seen uh, the courts. Uh, people do it. Right? They do the NDAs and the court and they say, oh, she won't need it or he won't need it. They've got NDAs. The court just kind of glosses over that in my experience. I've not seen a decision okay. um, that is different because there's NDIS available or not. So do they split the NDIS up? payments between them or is it just whoever's taking the child to do the thing that that just pays for it my understanding is there will be a pool of money available for the child yes um i think the parties really need to agree Mm. what things the child does and then you submit the account that's my very poor understanding of it and so you need to tell them everything yes about um how the arrangement is and Mm. and you both need to be on board with the processes wow Okay. It's tricky. And so, yes. I, can I just mention one other thing with yes. NDIS? Yes. Um, I understand that it, you can't apply for it after the age of 65, but I have had cases where the parent parents are eligible for NDIS through some um, uh, disability. Mm. Or, mm. Yeah. And uh, that also really isn't getting much airtime as far as I can see in the courts with, oh, he, she doesn't need much because they've got NDIS funding. Oh, okay. But, of course, the court does make adjustments in property settlement if a person can't work. Yes. So, yep, it's all. And, look, and we we definitely need to do an episode on parents with disability. Yes. And how that affects orders and the court system. Mm. But that's a whole other kettle of fish. It is. It um, is. That we will touch on at a later date. Adult children with disability, mm. how that may affect the outcome of your property mm-hmm. case as well. How the court recognises it, basically you just have to say, here's, here's some Here's some proof. Here's this some is proof. what I say and here's the proof. And that's what it always comes down it's to. It's always that. But, yeah. the, but I think it's important to point out to anybody who is listening, who hasn't gone through the stages yet of separating or mm. is going through the stages, going to court is a long, drawn-out process. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be, and maybe the new changes will make I'm it that way. I'm a little bit hopeful. Mum is hopeful. But mm. you have a chance in the beginning, before you go to court, to do that mediation and to negotiate your little butts off Yeah, to, cool. for the betterment of everybody to, yeah. to not end up in the court system. And if you have a child with a disability, you, you're not only going through an emotional turmoil of breaking up, but you're also still having to keep it together more so than maybe other parents. And and the children um, will also be acting out usually yes. and going through a trauma of their own. Yes. So it's superhuman time. Well, that's parents. what that child impact statement is. Yes. So what can you tell them what that is if, all about? If, it, if, it, if the matter goes to court, the court mm. there's a, a couple of projects that the court's working on now um, to identify at-risk children um, through violence or if there is... Um, uh, a, a risk to, to them in some other way, and I do think the disability would be eligible for that. And very early on, the court, um, the the court counsellors, they used to be counsellors, and then they were report writers. Now they can do a child impact statement to the court to give everyone an understanding of what's happening with the, with the child. It's not a full family report, mm. but they're just focusing everyone's mind on what is this doing to your child, mm. as if the children don't have enough to worry about and to cope with, mm. what are you doing to your child? Mm. And it's hoped that those early uh, refocusing of everyone's views and also, can I say, I 
I really applaud the introduction for rules that don't allow an affidavit unless you're asking interim orders Mm. Um, because those affidavits, once it's in writing, once it's signed, once it's given to the other side, really damages the relationship between the parties and and they really can't work well. Mm. And years ago there was no requirement for an affidavit and we there were a lot of things unsaid, mm. but, you know, it, a lot of things that probably didn't need to be said. Yeah. And so we were able to, I think, we sorted more things out. But once that's written and lying in the sand, then people feel they've got to respond. So I think the court is working pretty hard with its pre-action procedures, compulsory mediation, um, and the intervention of that child um, impact statement uh, person, and they get involved in the court mediations as well. Mm. It's really just to try and keep you out of court. But I guess or settle early. And settle early. And again, as we've always said, Mum, if you've always said, there's always you know, you, you end up in court mostly because one person's unreasonable. unreasonable. And that wasn't my saying, that was Judge A Barry. Judge Barry. Yeah. So in the end, don't beat up on yourself if you end up having to keep going uh, for the sake of the children, for the outcome, et cetera. You know, don't beat yourself up. But if you feel like there's something that could give so that you could settle so you don't end up going to court, Mm. then definitely. But what I'm trying to point out, I think, was that having a child with a disability, having all the changes occurring, Mm. moving houses, you know, and the stress that you Mm -hmm. may be under for court appearances or writing documents, really think hard about that before you say no to an offer that is very close to what it is that you wanted. I think you should choose your lawyer fairly fairly carefully too. People have different, um, just like any human being, Mm. I suppose lawyers are still human beings, um, but (laughs) lawyers have different, as I'm speaking as one, but (laughs) lawyers have different approaches. And there are those who will tell you when you ring them up if you're trying to find a lawyer how they're going to win for you and they're going to, you know, just demolish the other party. And I, I don't think you need that. No. The, the court doesn't want that. No. What they want is someone who can try and find some middle ground. Yes. So are there any lawyers out there that are specialists in the, the disability field or is it? In family law, no. I think, it, like I said, it comes up so often yeah. that we all become. Well, um, in saying that family law specialists. Yes. So we're family law specialists, but. So the only people who are really educated lawyers about, um, who really understand the NDIS and disability, I guess, are people who work in the medical, lawyers who work in the medical field or who work in in that legal medico area mm. where they, they help with those things. But so you don't no. need that really. No, well, the judges don't have that training. We all get a little bit of um, training and we read the cases and the judges are gradually getting... They're educated by the, the litigants really and the, the their lawyers who... Um, refer them to published papers and also just their lived experience. Mm, mm. So you need to show them uh, how your day is. And and even though it seems like a bit of a pity party and you might feel very terrible after writing it down, I do think that you should should take the trouble to do it because if a judge reads that, it will tug at their heartstrings. Mm. They do have hearts. Um, and that will help 
in your case. Mm. So make and sure you put your weekly to... and your yearly. Like, do you ever get to go on holidays? Mm. What does it mean? Can you go to your book club at night or not? Can, mm. You know. So putting a little brief summary for your lawyer and a little brief day to day list of what it is that you do, so that they understand the impact. So that if yep. you do move forward uh, in negotiations, they can go into bat for you better. Yeah. And also, if you do end up in court and you have to write an affidavit, they know what you're going through. Mm. Um, and I'm sure that there's a lot of support in the different disability groups out mm, there. there are. I'm sure you could go and find uh, some information for each type of disability mm. uh, and how that is in used in the family court, how that is you know, looked at and and, and um, described or explained. Mm. And if you've got friends in that community, ask them if they've found a lawyer who was empathetic. Yes. For some time when I was still uh, practicing, I had um, a series of people from you are one organisation. Yes, I know, but I'm trying to Semi-retired <laughs> practising, but, but yes. <laughs> but I had a, a series of people with um, autism Mm. And they were being referred by each other. Right. Because once they find a lawyer that gets it. Yes. Um, I'm not sure I actually got it in those days, but, yeah. you know, we were all just learning. Yes. So I think mm. maybe put your feelers out, ask around who's mm. a good lawyer, uh, who's been understanding, respectful, and and has been your support, you know, mm. to get you through that. If I ever did a PhD, I think it would be on the impact of that, mm. um, disabled children and family law proceedings. Mm. Okay. All right. Thank you, Mum, for all of that information. Mm -hmm. And to anybody out there who's going through that, we're here for you. You can listen to additional podcasts that we have on, you know, property orders, children's orders, you name it. It's up there. Have a look for it. And of course, in the future, if you've got any other topic ideas, send us, send us a thing. And we are going to be doing a webinar very soon, Mum. We are. Yes. So if you'd like to come along to the webinar, go to www.thedivorcecourse.com.au and click on webinar. And then you can book, grab your seat, and we will see you there. And you can, at the end of the webinar, hmm. there's a Q&A where you can ask mum your questions. So if you've got any questions from today's episode, you can come along to that as well. All right. Thanks, yeah. mum. Thank you, Laura. Bye, everyone. Bye. If you found this podcast helpful, we'd love it if you could rate, review and subscribe. By doing so, you are spreading the word to help someone else just like you. Lynn would like to remind you that this podcast is general advice only and you should always get legal advice in relation to your particular situation. And remember that the Australian laws may have changed since recording.